Okay. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to this evening's Mallard Report. As my guest just pointed out to me, we're against the State of the Union tonight. Somehow I missed that. I figured maybe they'd push it off because of the, well, now anyways, I'm not going there tonight. I've got more important things to talk about tonight. Uh, before I begin, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guests and do not represent any network sponsor. We'll get into the sponsors as well and uh, simulcasting radio network. Before before I forget, visit Mallard.com, M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D. My guest tonight is Bob Levine. Bob Levine, the owner of Levine Family Racing, NASCAR. Feels weird not having anything after that. Have you made that adaption yet, Bob? Because, you no, know, there I, for, I, I, for, for the longest time, there's always been, it's either been the Cup Series presented, you know, there's always been just this other stuff that goes a, with a that. A title sponsor or something, yeah. So, guess, you're, you're slowly making that. put up with it. Is the... I mean, you're more in the know about this than I am. Is that is that? I, I think NASCAR believes it's good for NASCAR, but do you believe it's good for NASCAR as well? To have all the various sponsors. Well, that not have the uh, title sponsor, but have all the other engagements and whatnot. Well, I've said since I got into NASCAR and was been in two or three years and smart enough to know that I don't really believe we ought to be competing with our. Uh, people who govern us for the same sponsors and they we even you know compete with the tracks for sponsors and that's where we get the majority of our money for sponsors so we're competing all three competing against one another so i haven't never really been entirely on that boat or that page that is i had i guess until you mentioned i mean i have seen it for years but i never really processed it through like that until you just mentioned that so well, good job, Bob. You made me speechless right off the top, so this is going to go well. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, no, but so take me back. What made you want to get into NASCAR originally, besides being a race fan? There had to be, I mean, I'm a race fan. Well, besides money, I guess there had to have been a, a, a burning passion to want to do it. Well, really, not. Uh, I'll go back. Uh, got out of college and. and uh, <clears throat> Went to work for DuPont, and Sharon and I moved to North, to South Carolina. And so, you know, right in the middle of, you know, the back when Richard was running and Allison's and, you know, Kale Yarborough, you know, all the, I call them the foundation drivers of NASCAR. Really cool drivers. And we started going to uh, Darlington, Charlotte, Rockingham. You know, primarily. And uh, so we liked it. And, you know, it was great entertainment. Always liked But really got away from it, Jim, for a lot of years. And a couple of years after going back, we moved to uh, New Mexico, started our business, started business from scratch. And, you know, you don't really have time to do anything, including vacation. I wasn't in the NASCAR at that time and watching television a lot. And it really wasn't until the late nineties. Uh, my daughter started, she just liked NASCAR. So I started getting in a little bit, watching it. And I think in 2000, Sharon gave me a driving experience at Texas Motor Speedway and 10 lap and a doctor friend of mine, we went over and drove and I really, really enjoyed it. I got to know Mike Starr and Mike's the uncle of David Starr and David runs in the Xfinity now was running in the truck series back then. And, uh, we had, the company had purchased a condo there at Texas Motor Speedway. So we were over and entertained, and I got to know David Starr, and we sponsored a couple of his races in the truck series and in the COT car when they were introduced into the Xfinity series. And uh, it, I guess it was a nationwide back then or whatever it was. <laughs> but anyway, David wanted to try his hand in cup racing, and uh, – you know, like David, and, and it was really one of those things I was, you know, trying to help David out. And uh couldn't really 
find anybody in the garage except those people who wanted to, you know, buy a ride. You know, we could pay a lot of money and buy them a ride, but I had known enough about the cars at that end of the spectrum that they weren't very good cars and you paid a lot of money. And then you had no control over it. And so just one Sunday, I told Sharon, hey, I, I think uh, I think I'll start a cup team for David. And it really started, you say that simple, but it did. He helped me arrange a trip up. Uh, Michael and I, my grandson, who's now our uh, VP of racing, we flew to North Carolina and visited with Roush and RCR and figured out a way to buy cars and engines from Doug Yates and, you know, met some people and, uh, this was in December of 2010, and we actually ran our first race in April of 2011, you know, by grace of the good Lord. Because when I made a deal, bought cars and engines, we didn't have a shop. Uh, we had no people. And uh, I it just happened to be an afterthought as I walked out of Roush. That day we agreed on purchase price and all those things. I said, uh, Scott Bowen was the gentleman I was dealing with. And I said, hey, Scott, uh, by the way, I, I think I need a crew chief because I don't know anybody. And he recommended a crew chief who, Wally Rogers, and, and Wally was with me for four years. And he really set up our shop. You know, he knew people. He'd worked for uh, Kevin Harvick in the truck series, worked for RPM you know, on their cup cars. So he knew a lot about it and knew a lot of people. And if it really wasn't for him, we wouldn't have got going. So it was just for trying to help somebody that we got into it again, part-time. And so, and we ran eight races that year. And, uh, back then there was a lot of entries in it. And obviously we had to qualify for each race. And we actually made our first four races, and then we uh, did not make the last four. And that was very disheartening to me because I'm very competitive, and I didn't like it's a really bad feeling when you have to leave the garage. I mean, you actually, you don't make the race. Your hauler's gone. You're exited from the garage immediately. And I wasn't particularly fond of that feeling after four of them in a row and said, you know, I got to make a change. And so we made some changes and I decided to stay in it. Wanted to do a little better. We changed drivers and kind of started from there, Jim. And you're still kind of uh, tweaking at it and kind of working at it. And, but I, I told you before we started that I'm excited for this year for you. Like, I feel like you've made the steps continuously to get better each year more you know step up step up step up and i feel like this year you're the best you have been am i am i wrong in saying that no i i think uh last year you know we made several steps you know once we went full-time and that was when the charters came into be because you know the the purse structure changed and, uh, and it was after we were in it for five years and had a shop and, you know, I liked it the way it was. We were running 20 some races a year and, uh, you know, was planning on doing that for a little bit as I got more acclimated into the garage and, and knew what was going on. So it was really all about me understanding NASCAR and where I wanted to go and where we could go and the real, the cost. You know, where do we really want to race? How much can we afford to put in it? Because we were paid it all out of our pocket this is those first five years. We had a couple of small sponsors. And uh, then the charter changed everything, and we had to make some tough decisions. On We didn't get a charter because they were giving out, giving out to the 36 full-time teams. And uh, we weren't, us and the Woods Brothers, in fact, were really two big outsiders, <clears throat> with them being the biggest because they longest running team in NASCAR. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's quite the impressive company to be in 
unfortunately, for the wrong reason at that point. Yeah, we were on the wrong side of the door. So uh, it, it was very difficult, and uh, we were able to find somebody who, believe it or not, actually had a charter that NASCAR had given them because they run full-time, but they had run full-time out of somebody else's shop, and they really didn't have a shop and a full-time. So we leased this charter and uh, for the first year. Uh, that was the first year we went over to RCR and changed to Chevrolet. And uh, so that's when the 78 car had left RCR and went with Toyota. And uh, we were invited to take their place in, as an allowance, a, alliance partner with RCR. And, and so that's what we did. <laughs> and at that juncture, Sharon and I, Realized running full time that if we wanted to try to maintain our one, our uh, business here in Texas, because we were going to drain it by just having to pay for it all. And, and while we figured out sponsorship and all, it, I needed a, you know somebody to a partner in, and, and so I found a gentleman and you know in New York that had been a sponsor hung out with us for a year in the garage and, and really enjoyed racing. He works for a big company in uh, New York and we sold him 30% of the company and we maintained 70% of it. And that really believe it or not, that 30% took a big load off. Although we were handling 70% of it as kind of the straw that would have broken the camel's back. And I said, no, I can't do that. But we did, and, and we just progressed little by little through those three years at RCR and uh, with that alliance. And so our, besides Matt DiLiberto joining our team, the next big step, and it was a big step, there were baby steps, and there was a big step, was going to Toyota. <clears throat> you know, we uh, we just knew... We would never get anywhere with Ford and Chevrolet because there's so many big teams and the big teams get the money and the help and they dole it out to their alliance partners as they see fit. And so we were the last guys in. So we were going to be essentially got what we got, which was nothing. Uh, so we went, hey, uh, Toyota's our only hope. Yeah, on a side on a side note, especially for a Toyota, I have a Toyota out the window here. It has uh, two hundred thousand miles on it that I just love, and I don't understand. I, <laughs> I guess it's calmed down are, quite a bit. I mean, when it first happened, everybody there was this big uproar, but I think it's calmed down quite a bit. I love my Toyota. I don't know how they are. For, I'm, I'm assuming you love them as a business partner too. Yes, you know, because I you know now drive a Toyota. You know, in, in fact, that's where I'm going to drive. I have an Avalon. And I'm driving it from uh, North Carolina to Daytona and, and keeping it down there all, all week. And I liked it equally as well because I, I had a CT6 Cadillac here as my company car in Texas, and I like it equally as well. In fact, I gave that to my daughter, and I like that Avalon. And they're great cars, well-made. And uh, dependability is unbelievable. Everybody I run into, yeah, mine's a hundred and some thousand. Had it for this long, and it's still going, and no problem. And that's one thing they pride themselves on is the dependability. <clears throat> you know, and that all goes back to their desire to put out good product. And I told somebody today that uh, you know, two things I really enjoy about Toyota is their relationship-based people. You know, all the way up their management from, you know, TRD and Toyota, and they want to win. And we kind of, you know, I'm kind of A-type, and I fall in that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to win. I'm going to figure out, or I'm going home. And we were able to figure out how to get in. So really last year was this, was the biggest step we've taken in any one year with Matt and uh, our relationship with the TRD and Coach Gibbs, that was huge. And now we kind of, you know, we've known for a couple of years 
who was coming up in their pipeline of drivers. And it was obviously easy to tell who their fair-haired boy was because he was doing so well. And we just uh, purposed that if there's any chance, we want to be there available for them as a seat to make us better, you know, and give him an opportunity to show what he can do in the Cup Series but it'll take us right along with him into the cup series, you know, no matter how long he's here. <clears throat> and we started out, you know, going for a two year deal, which we were working on with JGR. And then when the next gen car came about, it's really going to change things because different cars, different Alliance set up. And so, you know, we agreed with this play by ear at the end of this year and see where we go. So we feel really fortunate to have the relationship with Toyota and TRD uh, to make Christopher comfortable enough to want to come over our team, which he did, and uh, and Jason as well. So uh, we're excited about, you know, I don't want to be overly because you start off with a race that anybody can win, and it's a crash fest. So, hold, uh, hold on, but let's not get into the crash fest yet. I've got I've got at least two more questions in the past, and then we'll talk about the present. Uh, okay. <laughs> did Did you ever consider just going making uh, turning into a truck team or Xfinity team, or was that ever on the radar, or were you just full cup? You know, it's strange. I never had a desire to be a truck team owner or a nationwide Xfinity team owner. Uh, just don't ask me why. <clears throat> it's it's like if you if I'm going to do this, I want to I want to see if I can do it from in the highest level. I guess Jim, it wasn't a rational thought, and I really can't 100 percent tell you go back and say why, but I just had the desire to run in the Cup Series. Now, I believe I heard this right, and I, ha- I guess it's not on the wall right now because I've been rearranging the studio a little bit, uh, but I have a Alan Quickie banner, or not a banner, poster that I have. On, well, like I said, yeah. I've been rearranging that. It's not on my wall, but it, it should be because I kind of like that underdog. You're in his shop, though, right? Did I hear that right? Yes, we are. Yep. We uh, purchased his shop uh, four years ago, and uh, so it's... Uh, yeah, I love it. Love the location. It's home because we rented a little back space in there for the gentleman who owned the building and, and ran a uh, truck team. Uh, that's where we found a, enough space to set up shop for our two cars that we had for our first year. And uh, so we just expanded a little bit by little bit. And eventually uh, he lost the building to the bank and we uh took it over and was renting it. Well we took it over and was renting it before he actually lost it to the bank and uh then in two thousand fifteen when we had the whole shop we were in uh Kansas and the building caught on fire. And uh we lost four cars, a bunch of stuff in the back, burnt the whole back end. And we just made an offer on the shop to the bank and to buy it, purchase it. And then to that juncture, it's, well, wait a minute. Uh, can't buy it now. It's burnt. And so that was one of the things that was going down in 2015, too. The charter, our building burnt. What are we going to do? Are we going to be able to work by the bank, the charred building from the bank? Uh, I'm a contractor. We can do our own remodel and, and, and refab it and furnish it. So all those things were going on. So all to say, yes, uh, we completely redid it. Uh, Alan shop, love location, have a picture of Alan out in front, standing by his car with a briefcase showing a kind of little oak tree out front. And now that's a big oak tree. And <laughs> so it's kind of cool, the progression. I think sitting right here by my chair is uh, the Alan Kowicki Chronicles book that was written. So I 
like Alan. He was a businessman and like I am, but he could drive a race car and I can't. So it's <laughs> the difference the difference stops there. Yeah, but the inspiration's still there though, right? I mean, for him to oh, build sure. that I, To build yes, the, to build that. I mean, build a championship level yeah. level winning team. I mean out of that yeah, top, so there has to be something there a for you. A lot of satisfaction. A lot of you know it is. I'm I'm proud of our people. I'm proud of Jeremy, our president, and, and Michael, our grandson. Like I said, who's been with us since he got out of Baylor, out of college, and he drove in, up to Arca, and uh, but he didn't start driving until he was in college. So it was like yeah, a little late. So uh, loves racing. Does us a great job with knows the cars in and out as like an engineer but he handles he's, all of our racing activities he's in charge of so it being us another reason it's called the family uh levine family racing is it's run by our family and the people that work for us they're family to us you know, all the guys and one by one we've built them to fit our culture of this is what we want you can treat people you know, like you want to be treated and yet get really good performance out of them. You don't have to have a, a hard hand or a tough hand. Which, you know, tough love like a kid. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's still some of that from you. Oh, wait, did I say No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you you mentioned Wreckfest, and then you just told me about uh, – uh, I do remember hearing about the fire that destroyed four cars. So I'm thinking about the 500, and I'm thinking – that has to be like the most nerve-wracking race there is, right? Because yes. you're, you're at one on one hand, you've got the highest of highs. There's not a higher moment in the sport. And on the other hand, you know, there's that ultimate chance that you're bringing it back on a flatbed or pushing it into the pond, as yeah. it were. Yeah, <laughs> whatever pieces. Yeah, how? Do, I mean, I know how. I mean, I'm not nearly as invested in it as you are. I can't imagine being down, sitting on the box, lap after lap. How how do you not go insane? It's uh, it's very difficult. Let me just say that too, because uh, you know, take the five hundred last year. You know, we, we led the most laps in that race, and you know we're you know counting them down, and we hadn't really had the big one yet. And in the back of the, you know, your mind, you know that, that they're, you know, and that's things we watch in the race and our spotter, you know, are they getting squirrely? Are they, you know, are, are they getting antsy to start breaking out and doing weird stuff near the end of the race? And with eight to go, generally that's a little early. And that's when it, uh, 21 car got in our bumper and we really want not go anywhere. I think you just made a mistake, got into it, and it happened so fast, uh, you're, it's kind of, all of a sudden it's over, and you know there's no hope of coming out of it. So, you know, we just, you just start walking back to your garage, you know, knowing we were in the middle of it, you know, hoping, you know, and knowing Matt would talk to him, he was okay in the car. And, uh, you know, you've had a great car and it's gone down the drain and you come away with very few points. And that's probably the, you know, biggest. We just felt we needed to get off to a, a good start last year and had a real opportunity to, to do something. And we didn't. So that's as big a, because not only is it a points loss, is a huge purse loss that we figured losing that car excluding the car itself just the purse you know costs over half a million dollars and um so that's too for a small team and who's still paying it out of your pocket that's a lot of money to me we work hard for our money it's a lot so, of money to you just imagine how much money that is to me <laughs> it, it's uh you know it, it's huge and so it's hard to describe because after we went to the hauler, pull the car in, you know, patted the guys, went around, talked to all the guys, told them what a great job they did. 
Sherry and I got in our car and I drove for two or three hours towards North Carolina before I could stop and go to bed. And I was, I don't want to talk to nobody. You're just, your mind is racing, rerunning the race, reseeing it, what could have been. And, uh, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. So you're just helpless. So that's probably the biggest thing. And of the plate races last year, the only one we survived was the July Daytona. And that was the one that was what called with 20 or 30 laps to go because of the rain. And we were still, we were, I think, finished seventh or eighth, somewhere along in there. We were one of the better cars left. And I, and I truly wanted, let's finish this race because we got a chance to win it again. And every one of the plate races last year, we had a good car, was up front, running well, and three out of the four got killed. So that don't make you feel real good about going back to a plate race. <laughs> You know, the good thing about it is, this is the good side. Chris was really excited about it. I think, okay, I'm glad you are. I was going to say, I don't think there's too many people that are ever excited about it, though. You know, but it's the driver's mentality, and I've talked to, you know, Matt. He didn't like him for a lot, but he made himself look forward to, hey, we can go win this thing. And so it is a mentality of the driver's are able to do, and then I think some of them really get to liking it, and, and because they do it so well, and Matt really did it well, and you know, and Michael McDowell drove for us. Michael did a great job, also. So, and you know, Casey was up front when we got killed. The year that Casey drove our car, you know, we over the years we said, you know, do we run in the front? Do we run in the back? What do we do to try to stay out of it? And there's really no place to hide. Is like you can run, but you can't hide. It'll find you. And, speaking, uh, so, speaking of Casey, he was he won the way the only race that I've been to. The what is that? Really? Two thousand and six Coca Cola six hundred. Yes, yeah, he's won that a couple times, hasn't he? I know, right? That, that's I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, it's long, and, but I guess when I was sitting there, I realized how long it was. <laughs> oh. It's it's probably my wife's. She just went to the bar and took care of the horses. It's one of the, her worst because we're talking about over five hours. Yeah. On the box. Or, you know, I sit on the wall, pit wall. Rarely do I sit up on the box. I have to walk and pace. And and so I walk around and pet the, the our pit guys and, you know, just watch and watch the especially in the super speedways you know laps are so long let's hope we take a nap <laughs> uh, so you know it's not like a bristol where it's you know 19 seconds 18 seconds so that's uh it's easy to stay awake but in the speedway races you know you you see them when they come by the whole train and then you look up on the big screen to see if you can see it to see how we're doing or you look at our TV on the on the pit box. So, uh, like I said, they become longer, particularly if you're out front leading, like we were able to do. It's longer and it's longer, and each lap seems like the time now doubles, and you're counting them down, and then something happens. So it is a very uh, those of us who are still worrying about money, it's a very difficult race because it's not only winning, it's purse money and all those things also. Well, it's also bringing a car back in one piece. I mean, that'd be just, that's probably almost yeah. a win in your book. Yes. And we, we only did that one time last year in Super Speedway. Like I said, that was the July Daytona. And uh, that was the only one we salvaged. We lost three good super speedway cars. So not a good feeling, but it's racing, you know. So I, I told you to have your list ready. I know that you said it was a little bit short, but let's get the let's get the partners out there for this year and then we can talk about 
we'll talk about that on the flip side. So you've got yeah, uh, we're we're ticket because uh, Christopher was able to bring Reem over, and uh, those folks are really great folks to deal with. They're on our car for nineteen or twenty races this year, and uh, we're excited about that. And Procore's back for the third year now. Uh, Procore's a, a uh, construction management software that our firm here has been used for six years or so, and they're worldwide. And, and they're just they're out of California, and that's their main office. But they have offices all over the country, and and they're uh, with us for six races this year. And we have uh, 11 races yet to sell that, you know, our salespeople are working diligently on. And uh, we we were kind of penalized because we weren't wasn't able to announce Christopher's coming over when we wanted to. And so we got a late start on selling this year because it wasn't until September or October. So that cut down our, our uh, ability to sell those particular races. So we have a lot of interested people. Uh, but I think we go out and run a couple of races. We'll get those races sold. Yeah, I, 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 I hope so. I believe so for you. I think, well, I, everything you hear, the economy is supposed to be great, right? So, Yeah, think- there's just so many avenues. For those people to, you know, uh, companies to get it out to the public now versus the way it has been back, let's say, in NASCAR's heyday. Because, you know, the it was a paint scheme on a car, but, you know, now it's not. It really has almost nothing to do with the paint scheme. It's all about digital and views and track act- activations and what you can – and B2B. Business to business is huge now, and our salespeople are very good at that and, and using that to, to set up. And so that's what we're counting on. It's some additional B2Bs that Toyota can help with, potentially Ream and Procore can help with as they become familiar with each other after coming to the track. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I... I... You know, there's a lot of grumbling about, you know, this is bad for NASCAR, that's bad for NASCAR. I mean, I, I think the different looks in the car is cool, but on the other hand, I, I yearn for the days where I knew that that black number three was going to be there, right? Yeah. Like, you knew the paint schemes, you knew the drivers, you knew the sponsors, too. But I, I yeah. don't think that toothpaste is going back in the tube anytime soon. I don't think so either, Jim. It's just, it, you know, things change, you have to change with it. <clears throat> So I look at it as a couple things that need to, you know, take place, and and, there, and NASCAR is working on it, and, and one is our cost of racing, and uh, that isn't entirely NASCAR's fault, you know, but uh, they're still contributory, and the teams themselves are, you know, the ones who, in the heydays, man. They were, I hear stories about, from owners, when they'd have a six and seven million dollar sponsor, that they didn't have no place on their car to place. And they would try to send them somebody else and make it work or just say sorry. And when a six or seven million dollar sponsor nowadays is the primary sponsor. So it's, it's huge. So we've missed those. You know, the horse is out of the barn. And so it's, how do we make it better? Well, we cut down the cost of racing in our, hopefully, I believe it will, our new gen, next-gen car will help solve that. I just believe at some point in time, redistribution of purse money from tracks and, and TV and those things is, is going to have to help us more where we're not relying upon us providing 60% or 50% of the money to go race. You know, n- no other major sport where you have to have that type of sponsorship in order to participate in it. And I think 
you know, NASCAR is, is changing also as well as us who were uh, putting the cars together. And it's, do you have to spend that much money? No. If you want to <laughs> compete and be up front where television is going to show you, then that's what you got to do. And I'm not satisfied running around the back. You know, it's not what I'm here for. You know, not to spend the kind of money we are. So we want to be part of the mix and be a factor, you know, in every race. Have your car visible, up front. And, you know, it's impossible to do every race, but that's the mentality you go in with. We want to be in the mix. You have to want it. I mean, if you don't want it, it's never going to happen. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, and my, our people know I'm not happy with just running around doing laps. Uh, that's not why I'm here. That is no fun to me. And why spend your money if it's not enjoyable? So, yeah. Uh, you know, things happen and we don't and we'll have a bad race. You know, we did last year and, you know, you just shake your head and, uh, you know, find out what you did wrong, if you did anything wrong. Sometimes engine goes, you have no control over. It's just failure. And so we had one of those last year. And fortunately, as best I remember, only one. You know, we had an alternator go out in Phoenix. We were running 12th and near the end of the race. And, uh, you know, that just, you know, Kills you because that was the first of the year, and we wanted to set again set a precedence and do well. So those little things can put you on a bad roll, and then you guys got to work your way out of them. Yeah, I wanted to also talk to you about business while we're here, not necessarily cup business, but just um, I am always fascinated by like the leadership aspect of because as, you as you looking down, like how you um, encourage but not necessarily micromanage. Is that, is, am I in the right, do you understand what I'm saying, Bob? Yes, sir. It's, it's, uh, as we were building our construction business here and you, it can be a mom and pop to start with, you know, and then as you grow, obviously only way to grow is to add people and, uh, you know, and then adding the right people that have the same beliefs, culture, all the quality standards, safety standards, all of those things that you do. And, you know, it's not easy. They're, they're built. We've built ours over a period of 40 years in our construction business. And we call it, we've built our culture on those specific principles, you know, integrity, honesty, and, uh, you know, doing things right, treating people the way you want to be treated, and dealing with our owners. We do a lot of school work. Owners dealing with our architects, our subcontractors at workforce. You know, the the way we deal with those is important. So you have a I call it a global look or a thirty thousand foot view that I have to look at as you're building it. But then you can't stay up there. You, you do an overview, and then you have to come down and work in your business. You have to do the day-to-day. And, you know, I was a superintendent, and I was a gopher for us. And, and I worked on the jobs. And then I estimated at night, took off plans, and turned in bids, and Sharon would run them. And our daughter worked in the business. And so you're working in the business, and then you have to back off and say, okay, how we're going to do this, where we're going to go, how do we grow it, what do we need to do, how do we market. So that's working on the business. And so at a certain stage of growth, then I was able to just work on the business. You know, I no longer ran a job. I no longer uh, estimated or was a project manager. I manage people who manage projects. And then, you know, you're dealing with a different, when you manage people, it's different than managing a job. Yes, you're managing a job, but you're dealing with plans and specifications and all those absolutes. You know, here's the drawing. Here's what we do. This is easy. 
Now, as you well know, dealing with people is not that easy. <laughs> so you're dealing with, and, and over the years in, in college, I was managed while well, I was a finance and, and uh, accounting major and until I realized I couldn't sit behind a desk all my life and I changed to industrial management. So I have a minor in accounting and finance. So I have a good background there. And my wife is finance and she's still a CFO of all our companies. Uh, so it's planning and organizing and staffing and directing and controlling the five management functions that are still around that was in textbooks back when I went to college. So those are the things that a business has to do. You have to plan. You have to organize. You have to staff it. You know, then you have directions. Then you control what they do. And one of the things that I've found in now and looking at my daughter's VP and, and runs our construction company now, uh, run, you know, pretty good-sized construction firm ran by a lady. So, you know, that can cause issues with – big burly guys and, and those type things. But I, you know, still help her with those things. But it's when you're dealing with people, it's in managing those, there's always problems. And you want to make sure, same way as in our race shop, I want to attack the problem and not attack the person. And that's a real key because not everybody is able to attack the problem. They want to attack the person, and the person is just doing an action or a reaction, and you attack the person, you've lost them. They're not listening. And to me, that's been a key. Of, I don't mind getting scolded for doing something wrong, but I don't want to be tell, told what a sorry person I am this, that, and the other, and use bad language. It just, you, I just don't respond. You know, my dad got my attention by a belt, and that worked. So, you know, it was yes, sir, no, sir. And I listened. And so he, as long as I listened, things went well. And so, you know, there's no, no back talk. <laughs> but in dealing with people a little more sophisticated now, it's you want to attack the problem that they're causing and not them. Because it can be they don't understand the issue. They don't understand what they were supposed to do. A lot of things. A lot of times it comes, they can't do it. Then you have to make that decision quickly and not let them hurt your company. So managing people is, I'm sure, any business owners, big, large, small, you know, the machines run all day. Our cars on the track, they run. But it's managing those, putting the right people together to make them fit. You know, you hear it every day. We're changing crew chiefs. We're changing crew chiefs to go with this driver. and We're switching them up and see how it works. That's just people. You know, personalities. How do they gel? Just because somebody's taken off doesn't mean they're, you know, bad crew chiefs. There is just chemistry issues that that's the way the good Lord made us. We're all different. Nothing wrong with it. So that person didn't do anything wrong. It's just they haven't been put in the right situation. So kind of my overall basic philosophy of the business of attention to detail, you know, sense of urgency is huge and focus on the issue, focus on what you're trying to get accomplished. And those are the things in building large buildings that we do here found it works the same way on race cars, especially attention to detail, focus, sense of urgency. You know, we have to have that to get ready to go to the races 36 times a year, 38 times a year. Yeah. As I say, cause I was just listening to that as a, um as it relates to my show, the attention to detail, there's all these notes, there's all the posts, there's all the sense of urgency. It's always coming and I'm always looking for the next get, so to speak, the next big name, somebody that can help me get leveraged up. Right. So there's a lot of yeah. parallels that I'm understanding. I mean, I don't have to manage people. Thank God for that. 
<laughs> Bless you. <laughs> well, oh, but sometimes the you know sometimes I get I have the arguments with myself, which I'm not sure. I rather, sometimes I rather argue with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, do you ever win? That's the problem. <laughs> right. So the other the other yeah. effect the other effect I went. What was the toughest transition from going from the field work to trying to be a, a part time in the office, or was there some other transition yes. that you just struggled with? No, it, it was, uh, you know, I loved being in the field, running the job. You know, I just felt comfortable. And, and uh, it's easier. You're just, you, like you said, you're dealing with yourself. But then as you gain people and then you have to, the biggest problem is when you're having to do that and manage other people at the same time. So you do your job and then become that manager of everybody and try to plan, you know, doing the plan, organizing, staffing. So it's, that was probably biggest for me was getting the big view, you know, getting the global look. Cause Sheridan and I's focus when we started was to eat, make a living, be able to put food on our table. And that's, you know, we sold our house and took the little bit of money we had and went in business and moved into an apartment with our, our daughter. And so it was, I had nobody to, no relatives, anybody to fall back on. It was us and that little bit of money we had, we had to make it work. There was no plan B. Plan B was no food. In fact, our first year or two in business, I fished and hunted a lot in New Mexico and we ate duck and fish that I caught, duck shot, hunted, quail killed. That went on our table uh, because it's, you know, no, been there, done that. So I appreciate hardworking people and those who have come up the way we have and, you know, paid the price. So I, I got another uh question here that's it's gonna sound awkward but you'll know exactly what i'm talking about how did you go from building a couple houses to having a multi-million dollar and wide range of employees it was that intentionally or did this just slowly happen well, or no i never built houses i mean i didn't want to build houses okay so what, what okay i so i started out you know this i started out pouring some sidewalk you know doing Small stuff. I'd worked in the industry in Florida, you know, for a big ready-mix company, and I knew how to do takeoffs and, and takeoff blocks and detailed steel. I had learned how to do all those things, and it was like, okay, I know the basics. You know, I just got to go out and do it and learn how to put it all together. I worked on big high-rises, talked to other builders, and it was, just, it was really on-the-job training. Uh, I never worked for a general contractor in my life. I just knew I wanted to do it. And started little. In fact, Sharon and I were sitting, I believe it was last night, talking about, remember the first building we built? Yeah, it was this little building for the Pecos Valley Baptist Association. And, and you know, it was a small building. And, and then we did a little work for the National Guard. And it just, it's like whatever it takes to eat, that's what we're going to do, and we can handle it. We built it little by, you know, little, yeah, into over a hundred million dollar company. And uh, it's 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 if Bob can do it, if anybody can do it, I'm serious. It's America's the greatest place, man. It's it's opportunities. I'm not just the only one. Well, you know, anybody can do that. And that's you what I love. That's what I love about your story. That's what I love about you. That's what I love about your race team. Anybody can do it. Yeah. It's nothing special. I am not, I tell people, I am not that smart. You know, the good Lord blessed me with pretty good common sense. And uh, the, the right and wrong, what fair is, and, you know, treating people and the way you want to be treated. And, uh, you do those things and 
Lord has blessed us tremendously. So I, I do have one more serious question for you here. Now, okay. I, I know well, that, the rest of them weren't serious. No, no, this is, I got a few more kind of lighthearted questions coming up here though. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I know for years that I, I, I'll be the first to admit it that I've been addicted to Twitter. When did your addiction start? Uh, January this time last year. I never knew. I didn't even know how to uh, turn on Twitter or Sharon used uh, till last January. Sharon for a couple of years would read what was going on with a race team, what was going on in NASCAR in the morning. We get up early five five thirty, you know, get our yeah. coffee, sit sit together, watch sun come up, read our devotion. Then, you know, read the news or whatever we want to read because we don't watch television in the morning or night unless it's a basketball game or a football game or a baseball game. So I, I'm not into TV shows. Um, so she would read, and at some point in time, I asked them, hey, would y'all, my family, you know, set me up a Twitter account where I can do it myself? I said, how about for Christmas? Because, you know, I... I don't need anything for Christmas up maybe a Daytona 500 win. <laughs> uh, outside of that, life is good. So come the 1st of January and no results. Nobody's volunteered to help me set a Twitter account up. And so it kind of sitting dawned on me one day, hey, you started a construction company you knew nothing about. You started a race team you knew nothing about. You know, when you're getting along okay, you can ma manipulate through both of those organizations. Well, do it yourself. Found, went online and typed in Twitter and found out how to get download the app. And within a couple hours, I had my account set up. Right. And that, that's, I mean, most people get to that point, Bob. They set it up, they tweet a few times, and then they don't they don't like it for whatever reason. But you um, have adapted well to it. Well, it's in, in fact it was it was a, it took me a month to tweet something. I was afraid to put it out there, anything out there. I would follow, and I would finally I had to ask Sharon what are those things at the bottom, little heart thing. And she said, well, if it's just something you like, click on that. You know, okay, I got it. And uh, then it was like, finally, I felt comfortable. And then I realized, yeah, I read something, I click on it, and then somebody DM me. And then I found out about DM. <laughs> and, uh, and they were, oh, it's a friend. He said, hey, uh, you may not want to, like that you may want to make sure and i looked at it and it was i just liked it because i knew the person and it wasn't about what they had tweeted it was just hey i know them i liked it and the content wasn't up to par let's say <laughs> so oh okay so you learn right. that made me a little gun shy of geez some people are going to see what i do that was a revelation. So I'm pretty. Pri I have been pretty private until <laughs> 2019, and then after uh, about a month, I asked Sharon, "Well, if I want to comment about something, what do I do?" Because I had something I wanted to. I uh, no, excuse me. I wanted to. Re I wanted to retweet it, which I found out what retweet was. Showed me how to do that. Then what if I want to say something? Showed me how to do that. And that was a month process of, and then little by little, I, I very rarely even now will I post something. I, I posted a year anniversary this week. Yeah. And I'll post something occasionally. Most of the time I'm responding to a question or I'm responding to somebody else's statement. So, it just came about, I, and I like people, and I like people being interested in NASCAR and our race team. And so, you know, when it got really hairy, was never thought about it. 
I made a comment about the Indy series, and boy, that raised a ruckus on there. <laughs> In fact, somebody commented, uh, you know, have you got any replies yet? I'm like, no, why? He said, it's fixing to hit. Man, <laughs> it did. It started that I was, you know, what, have you ever been? And I mean, it yeah. got nasty. So I said, hey, I was using that as a term. Then you have been many Indy cars you've been to. It's like, you know, and I would try to be and uh, be nice. And so uh, then uh, the Matt situation came along. And I felt and, horrible uh, for you. I felt horrible watching that. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I'm not I sure know. I felt any better, but you, know, <laughs> you can't run away from it. No, you couldn't. But it was just like. It's a business, right? And whatever you have, you have to do what's best for your business. I mean, you'd, you'd love to have all your drivers still. You'd run the run, the run four cars, and right? Not putting yes. words in your mouth there, I'm sure. No, it, it's it's the fact. It's uh, to most people, they don't consider business. It's a sport. But to those of us who are putting on the circus, it's got to be a business. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a business decision, you know, that upgraded our team. So it's, you know, Matt understood. So it's like, why doesn't everybody else understand? <laughs> well, they didn't obviously. But, but you still, you're still there and you're still the same guy. And I, and I enjoy reading your tweets. I just want to say that well, publicly on the record. <laughs> thank you, sir. <laughs> appreciate that. So th I try not to offend many people. <laughs> well, good luck with that. I'm sure you'll say something here. I mean, we all do. It just, it just seems like, yeah, that's another political comment that I'm trying. See, I've done pretty well avoiding political stuff tonight. Offending <laughs> yeah. people, we've done pretty well avoiding that too. That's a shame. Yes. <laughs> I Well, yeah, my I've got a lot of help last year from our PR girl and, and Jeremy Lang, our, our president, of what I may want to stay away from. Even if you got strong views, don't go there. And it was words of wisdom because there's the, what's that movie? There's no way out. But you are correct. You're not going to win because there's just as many one side as the other. And why get in the middle of it? Just shut up. Somebody a long time ago sent to me, remember, um, if you're arguing with an idiot, nobody can tell the difference. <laughs> Pretty good. Oh, man. That's, so I kind of yeah, learned my lesson at that moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of wisdom there. Well, Bob, hey, we're running out of time right, really quick here. So I want to first thank you for the time. Absolutely. I love it. I, I wish you Ream, Toyota, ProCare, uh, Toyota, all of all Procore. the Procore, excuse me. So that's why I'm having you here. Uh, I want all the best success of of 2020. I, I want to talk to you after. Uh, I guess it's Phoenix this year, right? Yes, sir. And hopefully, you have some great great things to celebrate then. Okay, I'm hoping well, for a successful we'll... season for you. Well, not not to put too much pressure on you. So. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> not, well, I guess it's not on you. It's on your team. <laughs> yeah, they're all kind of one and the same in it. Yeah. All right, Bob. I'll see you on Twitter. Have a good night, man. And safe travel as okay, you go to North thanks, Carolina Jim. and back to Florida and all that fun stuff. Okay. Hey, appreciate having me on. I appreciate I appreciate you being here. Okay. Night, Jim. That's Bob Levine. Well, Bob Ooh. Levine, owner of Levine Family Racing. I love it. I mean, I know it was kind of NASCAR, NASCAR heavy, but you have to get there with him, right? That's who he is. That's what he lives and breathes on a daily basis right now. So you have to get there with him. Give me a chance to be a NASCAR nerd on this show, which I have not done, which I am, which I have not done in the, what, eight and a half years I've done this show. So I'm, I'm, I'm out of the closet. I'm a NASCAR fan. Get over it. I am. Um, I really do. Wish him and his team all of the best and all all the success they can have this year. I'm watching with an even more special eye now because I feel they're going to do good things this year. So, 
take a few minutes to share this episode of a NASCAR fan of yours. I'm sure you have one in your life. If you don't, you probably do and you just don't know. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.